grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hi and welcome to Adopt Perspective. I'm your host, Joe Sparrow. Today is the second episode of our two-parter with Evelyn Robinson. So while each episode stands alone, if you haven't already listened to part one about Evelyn's personal story as a mother who was separated from her first child by adoption in Scotland in 1970, then I'd recommend that you hit pause and go and do that now. First, a little refresher about Evelyn. She was born and raised in Renfrew, Scotland, and emigrated to Bermuda and later to South Australia, where she has lived since 1982. She has a wealth of knowledge and experience in relation to the long-term outcomes of adoption separation and has experienced post-adoption services from every perspective as a client, a volunteer, and as a professional counsellor. Her undergraduate and postgraduate qualifications are in the areas of social work and education. In in, uh, 2017, Evelyn was named in the Australia Day Honours list and received an Order of Australia medal for her service to the community, in particular to family members separated by adoption. She is also the mother of five children and a devoted grandmother and has written several books, including Adoption and Loss, The Hidden Grief, Adoption and Recovery, Solving the Mystery of Reunion, Adoption Reunion, Ecstasy or Agony, and adoption separation then and now. Welcome back, Evelyn. It's so great to talk to you again. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for uh, including me. Well, it's great to have you because you have so much knowledge. And um, I do apologise if there's a little bit of a funny sound for any of the listeners today. It's it's pouring rain in Brisbane on the day that we're recording and apparently it's raining in South Australia and my internet plays up um, when it's raining. So we could have some issues, but we'll, we'll do our best and hopefully it'll be okay. So Evelyn, um, today we're moving on from your personal experience as a mother and uh, talking about your work helping people affected by adoption and grief and loss in adoption. So Evelyn, I'm going to um, generalise here, but um, society and even those affected by adoption often misunderstand or fail to acknowledge that adoption begins with loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and people affected by adoption, including mothers and fathers who've lost a, children, uh, a child to adoption, as well as adopted people, experience significant and life-changing loss because of that separation. Mm-hmm. And grief is a person's reaction to loss. Mm-hmm. And it's something that they might experience in many ways, physically, emotionally, cognitively, behaviorally, and spiritually. And when a person experiences a major loss, such as the death of a loved one, their loss is acknowledged and supported by others around them, which helps them to deal with their grief. And there's rituals such as funerals that are part of this public acknowledgement and support. But it's a different for adoption loss though, isn't it? It's very different, yes. Uh, first of all, 
most people are seeing it as a positive thing for both parties. They say to the mother, ah, oh, well, now you can get on with your life and that wasn't meant to be and, and you'll be able to have more children and you know you, your child's gone to a good home, you've done the right thing, all of that. And, and similarly to adopted people, aren't you lucky you got such a lovely family and, and goodness knows what might have happened to you otherwise, you know. So people are used to seeing it in a positive light. And, and my lecturer at university certainly saw adoption in a positive light. So it's quite challenging for a lot of people. Um, and when people have, people have seen, like, like my first book was Adoption and Loss, and people would say to me, loss, what do you mean? What about loss? Is that, is that when the adoption doesn't work out and they take the baby back or, you know, and I'm like, no, no. So it was a, a whole new concept for a lot of people. And so what um, Evelyn is referring to here is what we call disenfranchised grief, which is um, something that Kenneth Doker wrote about, um, as did Evelyn in her book, Adoption and Loss, The Hidden Grief. So disenfranchised grief. So for mothers and fathers who lost a child to adoption, particularly during the era of forced adoptions, there was no recognition or public acknowledgement of this profound loss by them, um, by those around them, including family and professionals, and there was no support offered to them. They're expected to just get on with life as if nothing had happened. And the adoption was surrounded by secrecy and shame and never spoken about again in many families. So the usual processes for dealing with grief, you know, public uh, acknowledgement, support and rituals were not available to these mothers and fathers. And adopted people also experienced losses, particularly connection with biological family and heritage. And this loss was not recognised or acknowledged by society, professionals or adoptive parents. And the adopted child was not given any support to understand, speak or deal with feelings, um, you know, speak about or deal with feelings related to loss. And they may have been told they were adopted, however, were also given a subtle or overt message that this was not something that should be discussed, and so their grief is disenfranchised. And even as an adult, adopted people are faced with a dominant societal discourse that they should be grateful to have been adopted, and that adoption is all about gains with no recognition of the losses involved. Because of these societal views, some adopted people themselves may not recognise losses related to adoption. So can I ask you then, um, so how does that disenfranchisement of grief complicate the grieving process and how can it manifest in, in people's lives? For many people, it's hard for them to accept that there's anything negative about the adoption era. And when you talk about grief, that's considered a negative. Um, so that's the first sort of hurdle to get over. And people, when you talk to them about it, they talk about what's happened in their life, you find that they have actually exhibited grieving behavior without identifying it. So if you can sort of tune into some, something they've told you, something that's happened and show them the grief side of that, then that helps. Um, do you think there's a, a great silencing there? Like I remember not feeling at all able or capable to voice what I was feeling because the, I was never given any, um, any, there was no discourse around there being a loss for me. So I kind of grew up, I felt the loss, but I couldn't articulate it and I wasn't comfortable with saying it was a loss because 
nobody had sort of said that to me until I was, you know, a great deal older. Yes. So do you think, how is it for mothers, like the fact that there's there's no acknowledgement that it's completely disenfranchised, there's no um, empathy towards them, I guess, in their experience. How does that manifest in their lives? Well, they often become withdrawn and with a lot of anxiety. Um, they sometimes worry that something's going to come up that will really upset them. Um, and <clears throat> that's one of the reasons that groups like ours exist because mothers who've had a child adopted feel that they don't fit. And they're often uncomfortable in the, with other mothers who don't know or who don't, haven't had that experience because it is, it really isolates you. Um, they're often afraid to tell people because people can be quite rude and nasty. Um, and so it's a huge uh, risk to take to share that information with anybody. And women would, would come to arms and say, I've never told anyone in my whole life. My children don't know. And sometimes their parents didn't know either. <clears throat> so it, it, it really cuts you off from the mainstream, um, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a mother. Um, and they very quickly <clears throat> realize that people will not find it easy to understand uh, what has happened and how and why, no matter how you explain it for many, many people, uh, it just, and the worst thing, of course, that people can say is, oh, I would never have done that. And many people say that, oh, I would, I would never, I could never have done that. I'm not, I'm not that kind of woman or whatever I could, if it was me, you know, and as soon as somebody says, if it'd be me, you just want to put your fingers in your ears. <laughs> And, and that's why self-help support groups are so vital. Um, women would come to arms and they'd be cowering and they'd be shy and reticent. And, and then, and even though you've told them what kind of group it is, they, they really can't quite believe it. Um, and, and they're so used to sort of apologizing and trying to explain and begging and that they keep doing it. And then finally, at some point, you sort of say to them probably, these women know, they've been there, they understand, you know, but it takes a long time actually for that to sink in because they've had so many of the opposite type experiences. I've forgotten what your question was if I answered it. I think you've answered it, yes. And and we'll get to some um, a bit later. We'll be talking more about things people can do to help with healing and, mm. and that kind of thing. But we'll wait till we get to that point. Um, but I was going to say that like adoption is also an ambiguous loss. So <laughs> Pauline Boss coined this term and she suggested that there's two types. It is the second that most relates to adoption, in my opinion, and, and that's when there is a physical absence, but a psychological, emotional presence. Mm -hmm. So for parents who lost a child to adoption, their child remained present, uh, present in their mind, but absent in the physical sense. And if they later seek that child out, who is now an adult, the parent may still mourn the loss of those lost years before they had contact. And if their outreach to their son or daughter is rejected, 
this will compound the losses. Mm -hmm. So for an adopted person, again, they are psychologically aware that they have biological parents and family. Mm -hmm. However, they do not have the opportunity to contact until they become an adult. And there may be a really strong um, grief reaction when that contact's made or it's rejected. Um, so what have your experiences been around this? Well, uh, what you've said is is very is accurate, obviously. Um, and for mothers, I think the intro the introduction of the word loss into adoption is really quite significant, um, which is why I gave that title to my first book because, uh, as I said before, people had not considered adoption as a from a loss perspective at all. Well, they're often told. This isn't your baby, weren't they? This is somebody else's baby. Oh, yes, yes. Well, yeah. yes, but people didn't mean, uh, you know, medically it was somebody else's baby. What they mean is don't get attached to it because it's not going to be your child yeah. in the future. And as an adoptee, I think I've tried to put myself in um, the mother's position sometimes because I'm also a mother now too. Mm. And just the thought of knowing what's ahead of you, knowing that, you're going to be coerced and, and made to give up this baby because there's no other options. Mm. You know, you'd be spending a lot of time trying to disconnect, I think, to make that loss less because it must be so profound. Um, yes, and, and, and the people that you would have been working with tend to try to encourage that. Mm. Um, don't think of this as your baby. Yeah. You know, while you're pregnant. They're, they're starting with that sort of idea to implant mm. that idea already. Some of them were, certainly. Yeah. I, I spoke to one doctor. Um, he was actually my friend's brother-in-law. And she said, um, oh, he'll know what to do. He knows everything. He'll help you out. So he came around. This is when I was pregnant, when I had first found out I was pregnant. And he absolutely read the riot act to me he said don't you even think about bringing up this child children brought up by single mothers turned into juvenile delinquents and and um you owe it to this child you you've made a mess of your life and you owe it to this child to do the right thing by them so don't let me hear anything about and i was i was quite taken aback um uh, he, he was a person, who, he was a doctor, and he, he did think, he, think that he knew everything, and he, he really tore into me. Just speaking a bit more on this, I guess, um, from the mother's perspective, when you're comparing the loss of a child through adoption with other kinds of losses, what distinguishes it? Well, one thing is that uh, most of the losses that we hear about and live with are, are losses through death. Mm -hmm. So when, when there's a child who's been separated from the family who's not there, there's no finality to it. Mm. You know, when, we all know when someone dies, you have to accept it, you have to come to terms with it because it's, there's no, you know, it's final. It's over. Uh, with, a, with a child being adopted, you have no idea 
and you you assume for most of your life that your child is still alive because uh, most parents don't outlive their children. So the the separation issue, the the issue that caused the separation, is not a permanent final one. When someone dies, we all have to accept it. There's absolutely no option. Yeah. Um, and I think in death too, I mean, to me, when there is a funeral, it's like a line that's drawn in the sand. Like, you know, there's lots mm-hmm. of pressure leading up to that point and then there's a funeral and then you begin like another stage mm-hmm. of that grief process, mm-hmm. whereas that doesn't exist. You know, there is no tradition that happens. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's no there's no ritual and there's no finality. Yeah, exactly. So you know that it's going to be with you forever, mm-hmm. one way or another. And I mean, my son and I were reunited how many years ago? I still have that, those sorts of feelings. Um, just because you're reunited, it doesn't yeah. fix everything. I, I imagine too that um, the mother sometimes feels responsible for the decision to give up the child for adoption too and feels that the loss is self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that impact, you know, I mean, that must be a huge impact well, in how they deal with that grief. Well, what it means is that you cannot accept, expect any sympathy from yeah. anybody. Yeah. You cannot say, um, uh, my child was adopted because I was young and wasn't had no way to look after him and nobody helped me and, and they told me it was the best thing. You know, whatever reason you give, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. People are not going to accept it. They're going to say, uh, yeah, but... But you could have done this or you could have done that. Or if it was me, I would have done this or I would have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why women don't talk about it. That's why they keep it a secret. Yeah. Um, I think I told you what happened when I told my other children. You did, yes. <laughs> you, you have to keep it a secret in a way to protect yourself yeah. because... Um, if you, you know, as a mother, if you've tried telling somebody about that, you know, it's just not going to work and, and it's going to hurt. So to protect yourself, you, you, most mothers keep it to themselves. Yeah. And I think sometimes language fails in its ability to express that loss. Like oftentimes I just find myself almost feel like I'm choking on it because there is nothing I can say that can adequately explain mm. that loss and grief. And so it just feels say nothing because, you know, and just suppress it because there's nothing I can say that can possibly convey mm. or it's far too vulnerable to put yourself in that position yes. to be able to, to yes. get into yeah. that place where you can begin to try and explain. Yeah. 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 And, and you get people who say to you, I really want to understand what it's been like for you. So can you tell me? And then as soon as you start, you you see the you see it come up, you know, and they're going, oh yes, well that's all very well, but you know, and you think, ah, oh, should have known better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and that's, um, that, sorry, that's why it's it's great that we have so many services now, and we have people who specialize in adoption separation, and and we acknowledge it now as a loss. And, and we acknowledge the value of, of grieving that loss in whatever way people can. Years yeah. ago, there was just nothing. Yeah. 
you, you know, mothers went for 30, 40 years, never mentioned their oh, experience, gosh. never mentioned the child to anybody. Some women didn't tell their husbands, subsequent husbands, you know, um, and, and a lot of women didn't tell their children or agonized over how and when to tell their children. Taking, I guess, taking those feelings into account, might women who have lost a child to adoption then sort of suppress that grief? And, and what does that suppression do to their lives? Oh, that's a big question. Yeah. It, it almost, for many mothers, I mean, obviously I can't speak for everybody, it almost comes to dominate your life. Um, whenever you meet someone new, uh yeah there's a there's a constant awareness of difference a constant awareness of not fitting and whenever you meet someone new you have to think am i going to mention this or not mention it if i don't mention it now should i mention it later should i never say anything about it it it's just a constant thing that's in you that never leaves you and even, I mean, Stephen and I have been uh, reunited for a long time and he's lived here with us. His bed is right there. Um, and we have a good relationship. And, uh, but in spite of all that, it, whenever someone asks me how many children I've got, my heart sinks. And I don't think it's ever going to be any different. I think... For me, certainly, and I know for a lot of women, uh, a lot of mothers, that we have to accept that it's always going to be active somewhere in your psyche. It's there and it can be triggered so easily. Yeah. Um, from an adoptee's perspective, um, I can say it's the same if, you know, there's a question about parents and um, mm -hmm. or genetics or, you know, did your mum have that colour hair or, mm -hmm. you know, and then you depending on who you're talking to depends on mm. whether you would use, you know, how you differentiate what terms you might use, whether you want to go there or not, you know, yes, and, yes. you know, you could say, oh, yes, my mother's 87, turning 88 this year, or actually, in fact, she's only 70-something. So yes. too. So, <laughs> And which mother you're talking about. Which one, yeah. yeah. And whether you'd be willing to go to that space to open that conversation, because like you said, very yeah. often it's not met with yeah. an empathetic ear at all. I've yeah. practised so many ways of saying things, you know. Mm. Um, I used to say uh, I'm a mother of five children of whom I've raised four. Yeah. And that, I thought that worked quite well. I mean, of course, if you say it to somebody, they're going to say, what do you mean, you know? But still, if you, if you feel you want to say it to somebody then I, I found that I could be reasonably comfortable with saying that. Yeah, yeah. But if, if I just want to get out of it easy, you know, I just say I've got four children. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people say when it comes to grief that um, time will lessen the impact, you know, time heals all wounds. And as we've just discussed, there's no um, finality with adoption because, you know, the child goes on, there's no funeral, there's, you know, there's still all this unknown, yeah. So does time diminish this loss for mothers? No. No. Not, not in my experience. And I've, I've interacted with many, many mothers one way and another. Um, 
it's something I expect it to be with me forever. I'm 72 now. Mm -hmm. It's it's my constant companion. And I expect that to be the case. Yeah. I mean, and so again, it's the same with an adoptee. Um, it's a lifelong journey is what we say, yeah. you know. Yeah. may not always be at the top of your mind or, or giving you grief, but sometimes something will come up and then bang, it's mm. as fresh as the day that, you know, you first felt the pain. So let's um, just turn that focus of disenfranchised grief onto the experience of adopted people. Mm. Um, in years past and, um, and, and today, I think, sometimes, uh, it was believed that adopted people who had good experiences of adoption felt no loss and that they didn't experience grief or loss. Um, and that, you know, if you were to express it, they'd say, oh, you must have had a bad experience, mm-hmm. you know, because you couldn't have grief and loss if you had a good experience of adoption. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've really struggled with throughout my life, as I was saying earlier, because I could feel that I was longing and I was trying to find my way back to my mother. I was looking for her everywhere, you know, and was confounded by the fact I couldn't find her. And um, and I often felt sad and I didn't know why I felt sad. And, you know, I can remember as a kid thinking about it and thinking, I feel like I miss my mother, but my mother's right upstairs. So, and I was raised to think of adoption only as a gain for which I should be grateful for. So, I couldn't understand how I could miss something that I'd never known. Yeah. What can you tell us about the um, your experiences of adopted people with loss and grief? Um, well, what, what you've said is, in my experience, common among adopted people, that people don't understand that, that there is a loss for them especially people will say well you never knew her so how could you miss her you know or you never knew another family so how could you miss them and the best thing we can do is try to educate people which is another reason you know that I write my books um, because it is a loss for someone who's adopted because they're different and in the same way that that mothers are different and and we'll always know that they're different. Adopted people have had a different path in life from the vast majority of the population. And and what you said before is absolutely true that uh, people say, oh, weren't you lucky to be adopted into such a nice family? Well done, you know, aren't you you fortunate? Um, And I think the, the, Using the term disenfranchised grief is is useful. I know it's useful to a lot of adopted people as well as to mothers because you've been separated from a whole family, not just from your mother, from a whole environment, a whole history. And so you're in an ambivalent position because you have two ways of defining family, two types of families, which are very different because one of them is very familiar to you and the other one may be, the other family may be completely unknown. And, and I, 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 I've overheard my son who was adopted talking to other people, um, and, and I realize, I mean, I'm aware that when people say something about 
uh, your size, your color of hair, your your job, and you know, does that run in the family? So many people say, and and why did you get in, go into that kind of work? Is there any? Does that run in the family, or uh, why have you why why have you got so many tattoos? Which is one of the things that they often say to my son, um, and it doesn't run in either of his families. <laughs> it, that actually takes me back like um when I was a child I remember having this you know I'd had some kind of altercation with my mother you know I was being naughty or whatever and got in trouble and I went and sat in my room I might have even sat in my cupboard which is really bizarre but I was sitting in there and I was really angry at her and I it was particularly in those times that I was longing for my um, other mother for my biological mother who I had no concept of because in my eyes she would never have got mad at me and she would have always liked me she would have understood me and way better than this mother and um, and then I'd start getting fear because I used to think if I could run away you know and find her and then I would have this fear of being then kidnapped because it, she would be a stranger and I'd be like but I want to get back to my family and I'd, I was so conflicted about that because I wanted her but I didn't know her and so she was fearful and also something that I longed for, you know, something I feared and something I longed for. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think it, it would be wonderful for the, com the community in general to hear that kind of stuff because I don't think they would expect it at all because adoptees are expected to be grateful. Mm. And mothers are expected to be grateful that somebody solved your problem for you and took your child. So when the whole issue of disenfranchised grief and and even grieving at all an adoption from the child's point of view or the parents that's a very recent um development yeah and it's a very healthy development because uh, many adopted people have those feelings many many mothers have these feelings and for them to be actually able to brought to be brought out in the open and acknowledged and and lived with and understood um, I think has made a lot of difference to lots of people. Yeah, absolutely. Helped and it's something you could never have expressed or I couldn't have expressed as an uh, adopted child when I was young because mm -hmm. I was fearful that my family would leave me if I said anything that would well, make them think I well, wasn't happy to be yeah. there, you know, yeah. which is a huge fear of abandon them abandoning me because I knew families could leave you. I knew mothers could leave you. So yeah. I certainly wasn't going to express anything that might yeah. make them. One mother had left you already. So the other one might too. Yeah. I don't want the next one to leave because yes. you know, I love them. I wanted to be with yes. them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I wanted to talk to you about um, some of the ways that can people can work through this grief and loss. And what are some of the things that you found in your experience that can help people heal? One of the biggest things, I mean, the first step really is to acknowledge this as a loss in your life, acknowledge that there has been a loss. And that's a big hurdle for a lot of people. Because oh, yeah. as you know, all, we are all used to hearing about the positives. Mm. You know, adopted people should be happy to have somebody wanted them. And, you know, and mothers should be happy because um, they were protected. Somebody looked after their child for them when they couldn't, you know. So just the very fact that nowadays, people can talk about their loss and grief and it can be acknowledged and, and they don't feel um, that they're somehow, uh, I don't know, there's something wrong with them. That it, We understand that it's a natural part of the experience. 
And for some people, it can, it can really intrude into their lives and their relationships with other people. I, when you're saying, you know, you were afraid your adoptive family might leave you, I felt that way about my children, the children I raised. Um, I remember my mum saying to me, uh, have you told the children or are you going to tell them? And I was just like, mm, mm, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to do and, or when to tell them or to, to tell all of them or tell them one at a time, you know. Um, I, I, I just said, I don't know, I don't know. Um, I'll deal with that one day, I don't know, maybe not. Uh, but it is, it is easier nowadays, much easier than it was years ago would you agree with that that there is more publicity about adoption reunion and and so do you mean finding help and and finding information that you know there is loss and that kind of thing is that what you mean by easier well easier in the sense that it's more socially acceptable to talk about adoption now Mm. and to actually be honest about it and 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 try to and sort of there's more balanced yeah. Whereas in the past, we all had to see it as a positive thing. You yeah. should be grateful. I should be grateful. There's Because there's more awareness now of the complexities around adoption separation. Um, well, it's just more- access to information too, isn't it, mm-hmm. Evelyn? Like, you know, I grew up and, and you would have been going through these years before the internet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, I grew up on a farm and, and mm. there was no, I didn't even know there'd be book. I didn't even know what to search for because I didn't even know mm. what was going on with me. Um, but nowadays you can go to Google and type in adoption support, adoption loss. Mm. Ado- and, you know, you're going to get a whole pile of hits that can take mm. you down the rabbit hole, finding books, finding support groups, finding mm. counsellors you can ring on the phone. You know, mm. there is help available now that never was and information. So you can very quickly start to work through these things. Yeah, which is great. So, I mean, obviously you spoke about how much um, getting into a support group helped you and just knowing you weren't alone and and being able to, um, I think the great thing about a support group is you don't have to explain yourself exactly. in these things because you know people get it, you know. So even though we all had different experiences and different, um, we're at different stages of our journey, just hearing somebody else speak it about it can take you another step in yours, you know, or you can recognize where you were and how far you've come, just lots of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering, um, so I found writing um, to be a really great way of understanding my adoption experience because I find it hard to talk about but writing I can really think creatively about how I'm impacted have you ever found art to be something that's helpful to people yes for some people it is um I guess with with a piece of art for example a painting keep it simple um you can create uh, the picture <laughs> um, so you have the power to sort of make it the, the way you want it to be and and that's that can be useful to a lot of people because as you know if you talk to other people about it they have got their picture and they will come back to you with but 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 you know and you want to have your own you know you've got your own picture and for for some people um, 
put, putting that into something concrete, uh, some kind of presentation type thing, something they can look at or maybe share with other people uh, works for them. Mm. And it um, gives them some peace and, and, and helps them to come to terms with, with yeah. the situation. And of course, we can now um, we can read about adoption. There's lots of books about it. We can listen to podcasts, and there's some great podcasts out there in the world about adoption. Um, and we can watch films about it. You know, so they're sometimes they're not so sensitively covered. But I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, particularly watching documentaries. You know, um, there's been some great ones about intercountry adoption, and you know, reckoning with the primal wound is one that's just come out recently. So, mm-hmm. I mean, these are ways that we can um, learn about someone's experience too. That can tap into things and um something that can be interesting is a therapeutic ritual so you know there was no funeral at the time of the loss um so finding or creating a ritual such as you know lighting a candle that acknowledges the birthday of a child lost to adoption or, you know have you found rituals to be something that people use that are helpful yes yes uh, um i guess there's a pretty broad uh uh uh, what's the word uh, what you call a ritual you know it could be a lot of things um, and we probably all have some sort of ritual but we may not define it that way yeah. especially with dates and things you know uh, you know such and such a time and you think back I know where I was this time 20 years ago or whatever and and that's just revisiting experiences like that you know where there's a link um that can be a a sort of a ritual it could be anything that people make it some people plant a flower Mm. a bush or something and that represents some a part of their experience for them so they can go to that when they want to put themselves in that headspace you know Mm. and and it it uh, rings a bell for them and it's got a meaning for them so, um, I mean, another thing is that we now have um, had government apologies at state and federal level in Australia, and we have memorials and anniversary events. And for some people, they mean a great deal. For some people, they mean nothing. Um, or, in fact, they anger them because they feel like they're yes. hollow. But that's another way, too. What are your thoughts about these things? That's true. Um, after the apology, you know, with Julia Gillard, uh, there were some people who said, well, it didn't change anything yeah so you know that was nice but um but it didn't well it did in several ways and uh, i feel it did anyway it was it was very public Mm. um and it's been uh an issue that has been a secret Mm -hmm. for so many years and and i know for many people as we talked about before it's still a secret so i felt to do something as public as that was helped everybody Mm. um and i think the anniversaries are helpful because Mm -hmm. um so i think sometimes we've had the forced adoption support service and we had the forced adoption apology Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people maybe particularly adoptees don't consider themselves a forced adoption because they um you know there was a lot of extremes in what happened during that time you know some people were drugged tied down or had their um you know names forged uh you know all sorts of terrible illegal practices and then there's the other scale which was um they had no support they were coerced by parents by 
clergy, by um, social workers. And so when I went and heard about the adoptions, well, I didn't go, I heard, the sorry, the apologies. I didn't go because I didn't think they related to me because my mother had said to me, you know, I wasn't forced to do this, um, you know, I, and then explained the situation. And then I went to an anniversary once just to support other people. And um when I was sitting there and listening to what coercion was and, you know, even though I knew she didn't have a lot of choices, it really clicked for me. And I thought you were a for, I was a forced adoption, you know, you were forced because there was no other options. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, sometimes with our service, I wonder if people think, oh, it's not about me. I can't ring up and get support there because I'm not forced. Well, yes, you can. You yes. can get yeah. Yeah. Um, support. And I think that anniversaries are helpful in that way because for me, it changed my thinking and I think it could for other people too. It did, that's true. When I told my children about Stephen, um, one of the comments was uh, my, my older daughter said, uh, well, uh, surely, you, surely, why didn't you bring him up yourself? Surely you could have managed, you could have done something, you know. And I said, well, uh, people didn't expect unmarried women to bring up children in those days so there was no single parent pension you didn't get family allowance um you know you weren't considered a mother and uh so if you didn't have a husband to support you you couldn't manage you know it was you know and she said well that's just silly how did they expect you to bring up a child if nobody was going to help you and i said yeah she's <laughs> very young at the time they didn't expect you to bring up a child yeah and, and and my children were pretty baffled by that yeah they I and she said you mean just because you weren't married they didn't you you weren't supposed to bring up it's you know to them it's baffling it's hard to imagine so, you know yeah, yeah it yeah. is it is and, um, and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us again today. And we've really only looked at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to your books and knowledge. And I was saying to Evelyn before we started recording that I really struggle putting um, this episode together and thinking about what we're going to cover because there is so much information in your books and you have so much experience. And I, I knew we couldn't cover all of it in one little episode. So I do hope down the track that you might um I can tempt you back again to have you know a third conversation with me down the track and we might talk about reunion and um and explore that in a lot more depth would you do oh, that for me of course I will <laughs> I'm delighted to be asked well as I said to you it was because of coming to Brisbane that I became an author yeah. <laughs> I, I came to Brisbane to present a paper and all these people said where can I buy your book and, and that's that's what started me on yeah. the you know, I'm so glad that it did. Yeah. And I'll pop up some um, links for everyone about where you can actually, I think I already have them on our podcast notes page, but where you can get Evelyn's books and find out more about her. And, uh, and we do have copies of them in our Jigsaw Queensland library as well. That's available for borrowing if you're a Jigsaw member and uh, live in the local region. Otherwise, if you um, can't get them that way, give us a call at our um our FAST team or send us an email and we might be able to contact your local library to see if they can get copies in, um, which we have done with other books before. So uh, meanwhile, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? And if you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. And please note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. 
If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Adoption.